Well, again, good morning to you guys. Uh, welcome to the banks of Bodecker Lake on the southwest side of Loveland, uh, Colorado. A beautiful setting for us and kind of applicable for what we're going to be talking about today. But let me just start with this question. Uh, have you ever been in a cemetery late at night and seen a crazy, bloody, uh, naked man screaming at his top of his lungs, running around. Uh, you ever experienced something like that? Me neither. Have not. Uh, don't want to. Uh, you know, I think cemeteries are one of those things. They're scary enough during the day. Uh, but at night, those are just things you don't go there. You don't go there at night. Uh, the cemetery in question uh, that we're going to be talking about uh, was located on the east side of Lake Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and there were cliffs in the side of the bank in the area that we're talking about, and there were actually tombs, little caves and tombs where they would put the dead bodies there. And it's also where the people who have been cast out of the city it's where they would go and they would find shelter. Uh, and on this night that we're talking about, a boat pulls up on shore and 13 men get out of the boat, Jesus and his 12 disciples. And I'm just thinking, man, if it's late at night and this is what you paddle up on, uh, that would be a scary place to be. I remember when I was in college, and uh, we had summer break, and uh, one summer I came home uh, and stayed at my parents' house in Indiana, and I got a part-time job, and me and some of my buddies, we would hang out a lot, and uh, I remember one night, me and my two closest friends, Jeff and Aaron, uh, we decided to have some fun. It was late at night, getting close to midnight. Uh, we actually snuck into the church that we attended. Um, I confess to this later on uh, to the uh, church staff, but we snuck into the church, found an open, uh, unlocked door, uh, played around in the gym, which was also our auditorium. I remember uh, we did a symmetrical book stacking in the middle of the auditorium, kind of had our Ghostbusters moment uh, just then and there. And I remember throwing a broom up and it landed on the uh, basketball goal and it pointed straight out toward the books and we just freaked out. We thought that was the coolest thing ever. We left everything there so that when the custodian would come in the next day, they would freak out. And we left the church and we decided it would be a good idea. It's getting about 12.30, one o'clock in the morning. Thought it'd be a good idea to drive through the cemetery. Uh, I remember as we were driving through the cemetery, we got all the way in the back and we got out of the car and we started walking around. Now it was really foggy, so it was kind of hard to see, but it was also what added to the element of scare. And I remember as we're walking just a little bit, we hadn't gotten too far, and we looked over to the side and we saw this white figure, a ghost, pointing in the direction that we were heading. And we all freaked out. We started screaming. Now we're all college guys. We're supposed to be tough and brave, but we started screaming. We booked it back to the car and we flew out of that cemetery. Our hearts are pounding, the adrenaline was rushing, and uh, we went back to my parents' house, we went into their basement, turned on all the lights, and there we watched Friday the 13th. I remember things are always scariest at night. And so the next day, uh, when it was bright day, it was in the middle of the afternoon, I drove back 
uh, to that cemetery to see if I could find that ghost that we saw the night before. And sure enough, there it was. But it was not a ghost. It was simply a white sculpture. A sculpture, and I actually think it was the Virgin Mary. And she was just pointing. And uh, But man, I tell you what, in the middle of the day, no big deal. In fact, in Loveland, we would expect things like that. We have sculptures all over the place. But in north central Indiana, uh, that was a heart-pounding moment. So when the boat that Jesus and the disciples are in, it's probably about 19 to 22 feet in length, pulls up on the shore, they have no idea, at least the disciples, they have no idea what's in store for them. Uh, they had not heard the stories. They hadn't heard about the crazy men that occupy these tombs, uh, but they would soon find out. Because not too long after, they pulled their boat up onto the shore, and they heard the screams. And as they look out through the cemetery, through the thick of the fog, they see a figure. But this is no sculpture at all. It was a man. A man approaching them, screaming. He was unkept. Uh, he was naked. Uh, you could tell the hair from his beard and his, the top of his head uh, had all meshed together. The dirt on his body and the blood had kind of all mixed together and dried up. He had blood from his wrists and his ankles uh, that people from the town used to shackle and chain him up to try to contain him. But those chains and those shackles were no match for the demons, and they had no power over the demons that resided inside of him. And he runs up towards Jesus and the disciples, and he screams, What do you want with me? What do you want with me? Now, I'm just going to admit right now, if I had been there, I'd already been back in the boat. I am paddling my way back to Galilee. I ain't sticking around to see the end of this story. Not going to take my chances here. Can you imagine being in that place, in the darkness, and having this experience? And I would imagine that all of them would have said, what in the world are we doing here? How did we get here? And it's interesting because how they got there was absolutely incredible. And so what I want to do is just rewind the tape a little bit and take you through the day that led them to this point. Because Jesus had been on the other side of the sea and he was preaching and teaching and he was telling stories, parables. He was talking about the good soil. He was talking about faith uh, as large of a, as a mustard seed. He was talking about the treasure and the pearl. And he was talking about a lamp and how it should not be hidden. And he's talking about all these amazing things. The kingdom will be like this. And the crowds have grown, and they're not leaving. And in the later part of the day, I'm sure the disciples were like, man, we're not going to get a lot of sleep tonight. Little did they know what was going to happen later that night. They just thought, you know what? If we don't end things here at some point in time, it's going to be a long night. And so Luke chapter 8 verse 22 tells us what happens on the way. It says this, it says, let's cross. So Jesus gets to a place where he's like, okay, let's stop here. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and they started out. And as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. 
But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. And the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. We're all going to die. And when Jesus woke up, catch this, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, where's your faith? Guys, where's your faith? See, the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They said, who is this man that when he gives a command, even the wind and the waves, they obey him? You know, one of the first stories that I remember learning in Sunday school growing up was this story right here. When Miss Jessie, my Sunday school teacher, would bust out the flannel graph and she would put the boat out and put some blue to give it like waves looking and uh, Jesus was in there and some of the guys and uh, she would talk about how Jesus would talk and the storm would stop and it would become calm. And it was such a cool story to learn when I was a kid. And it's amazing that this is what happens to get the attention of the disciples. Now remember, the disciples have seen some pretty amazing things from Jesus. He's turned the water into wine. He's healed people over and over again. He's brought somebody who was dead to life. And so what makes this one different? And the reason that I believe this is very different and the reason that they were so afraid is this is the first time it was them. See, it had always been somebody else. Somebody else was lame. Somebody else had the disease. Somebody else was dead and needed to be resurrected. It was never them going through it. And now it is them. They are in the boat. They're in the middle of the storm. And they did what I would have done. Freaked out. Now you got to remember, <laughs> this lake is big. It's a sea. It is seven miles that they're going to be rowing. And so I would assume that this is in the middle of the sea. And it says that the storm, and the word that they use is kind of like a squall. It's the same word that we use to get hurricane. Uh, this is not just your ordinary storm. This is massive. And this has the guys scared. And remember, four out of the 12, at least four that we know of, are professional fishermen. Their lives take place on the water. They know a storm when they see it. And this is a massive storm. See, the Sea of Galilee is in this basin and it's actually located uh, 685 feet below sea level. And the hills that are on each side of the sea uh, are about 2,000 feet up. And so it just creates this per perfect atmosphere for storms to brew and come in and come in quick. Now, I think this whole thing is a little bit comical in hindsight because picture the waves crashing over the top of the boat. The storm, the lightning, the rain, the thunder, these guys going nuts and sleeping like an angel in the back of the boat is Jesus. And this is the only time in scripture that it records Jesus sleeping. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat and he evidently, like everything else, is really good at sleeping. Now at this point, I would imagine that there's two big emotions that are being felt by the disciples. Uh, the first one would have had to have been amazement. 
just being amazed that Jesus could sleep through the storm like that. You know, uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Olivia, is similar in that she seems like she can sleep through anything. In fact, just this past week, uh, my, my two daughters were having a sleepover in Olivia's room. And of course, Olivia, she falls asleep really fast. Brooklyn, she does not. And she says, Dad, come here. And so I go into the room and she goes, I think I saw a spider. And so I'm like, okay. So I turn on all the lights uh, and I grab something to kill the spider. I can't find the spider. And so I get the spray. I spray the perimeter of the room. We make all this commotion uh, for about 15 minutes. And the amazing thing is Olivia never budged the entire time. She slept through everything. In fact, I've always said that she is uh, the one that could sleep even if a dump truck drove through a nitroglycerin plant. You know, the quote from uh, Christmas Vacation. She could sleep through anything. And I always thought it would have been funny if maybe Jesus was playing possum, uh, maybe to get out of the work, because half the guys are rowing and half the guys are trying to get the water out of the boat. But that's the scene that we have. That's the scene that's going on. The other uh, emotion that I think the disciples have, the first one being amazement, would have been a little bit ticked. Would have been a little bit ticked. How come he is sleeping when we are working so hard? And so, by the response that they give to when he calms the storm, I'm pretty sure that they were just wanting him to wake up and help. They did not expect him to calm the storm. But make no mistake, at this moment, they are in the middle of a massive storm. And I think for us right now, for so many of us in this country, it just feels like we are enduring one storm after the other. I mean, 2020 just seems to be like one continuous storm. You know, hearing the news that Kobe Bryant died hit a lot of people pretty hard. And then obviously with COVID-19 coming in and it just changed our entire world. And then obviously over the last week and a half, two weeks, the racial tension that is going on in our country and the division that we are seeing in our country. It's just horrible. And then the, obviously the political crazies that are going on. And then the thought of murder hornets. One storm after the other, right? Kind of what it feels like. Maybe the luckiest people were Bob and Doug who just decided to leave Earth and go to outer space. But I feel like the tension that we feel and this unrest is affecting all of us. And with the racial tension that we've had over the last week or two, it just is so sad and it's so disappointing. And you can't even turn on the news and not be reminded of the destruction that takes place, not only through our actions, but through our words and our posts. So even though that we're in the midst of what I would consider these emotional and even spiritual storms that we're dealing with, my prayer is that we can learn, that we can learn from it and we can grow from it, that we can end up being better neighbors, that we can be better co-workers, we can be better classmates, we can be better parents, 
we can be better children, but most of all, we can be better Christ followers. You know, our family sat down last week, just sat around the table and started having a conversation because we realize that we can't control everybody else. But I think where it starts is when we just do a little self-evaluation. What are the things that we can do different? How can we learn? How can we be better at showing love towards everyone that God puts in our path? And so we sat there and I couldn't help but think that the one thing that probably needs to happen the most is exactly what we were doing. And it's people just sitting around a table, sitting in a room, and having healthy discussion, learning from one another. How can I be better uh, for the black community, for the Hispanic community, for any other community? How can we just be better for one another? And so I think Pastor John Moten said it best uh, this past week, but he wrote in an article, he said, we need to listen we need to learn, we need to love, and then we need to repeat. We're going to listen, we're going to learn, we're going to love, and we're just going to repeat that. And ultimately, and I think this is going to be the case for us too, it's going to be Jesus that calms the storm. See, for the disciples, it was Jesus that calmed their storm. Verse 24 and 25 said, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped, and all was calm. And then he asked them, where is your faith? Now, I'm just going to admit, I think that was a little harsh. It's a little harsh, right? You know, they're in the middle of the storm, and Jesus says, where's your faith? But Jesus, all throughout his ministry, was making it very clear, it is your faith that matters. Don't you believe that everything is going to be okay? I am in the boat with you. You know, the narrative of Jesus would have looked a lot different if the boat would have sank right there. And Jesus died in a boat accident. Very different story. Very different narrative. So, what Jesus does is he again stresses, you need to have faith. All through his ministry. And it's amazing because the people that you would have thought would have had a lot of faith sometimes seem to have a very, very little. And those that you would have thought would have had not very much faith or no faith at all seem to have a lot. So in Jesus's hometown in Luke chapter four, when he goes to Nazareth and basically the people are listening to him and he was amazed at their lack of faith. So much so that they tried to drive him out of town and throw him off a cliff and kill him. Then in Luke chapter five, uh, the, the paralyzed man, who has four friends that have incredible faith and they have the faith that Jesus has the power to heal their friend. And it says that as Jesus looked up at the friend's faith, at these four guys, as he looked up at their faith, he then healed their paralytic friend. And then in Luke chapter 7, the centurion, basically the officer of the enemy, uh, has great faith. A prostitute that has great faith. Jesus saying this, that is your faith in me that will sustain you through the storm. Don't miss that, folks. That is our faith in Christ that will sustain us through the storm. And so that's where I hope we lean into.
And so that was their journey to the other side of the sea. And uh, obviously what awaited them uh, was absolutely incredible. So they've already been witness to a demonstration of Jesus basically controlling the weather. And now if the night wasn't crazy enough, they're on the shore, the demon-possessed man runs up to them, drops in front of Jesus and says, what do you want with me? Now Matthew's account in the gospel actually says there was two men. Uh, but Luke and Mark, they basically take it from the standpoint of the one who does the talking. So it addresses the one man. He says, what do you want with me? And he's addressing to Jesus. And it says, Jesus demanded in Luke chapter 8, verse 30, what is your name? He says, legion, for he was filled with many demons. Now, the word legion is a military term. It means a group of 6,000. Now, I don't know if there was exactly 6,000 demons in this man, but if there was, then you can understand not only uh, the magnitude of the situation, but the amount of exorcism that is going to need to take place to rid these demons from this guy and to cast them out. It says the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit, the abyss, their eternal place. Uh, there happened to be a large herd of pigs. We know it to be 2,000 pigs that were feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter the pigs. Let us be in the pigs. And so Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of that man and entered into the pigs and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned committing mass suicide wait for it okay so the disciples get a front row seat to one crazy evening we have the storm and jesus calms it we have a demon-possessed man who basically gets the demons cast out of him from Jesus and into the pigs. And we see the pigs then run down the hillside or jump off the cliffs and they drown themselves. Then in verse 34, it says, When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. Now catch this. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. So my question always was, where did he get the clothes? Was that the other miracle that took place? Jesus said, clothing, boom, he's clothed. Or did he have extra clothing with him? We don't know. But this is what they saw. And when they saw this, they were afraid. The people were afraid. And it says in verse 36, Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasians uh, they begged Jesus to go, to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. And so Jesus returned to the boat, and he obliged them by leaving, crossing back to the other side of the lake. says, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home, saying, no, 
go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. And so he went all through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. So just a couple things that I want to draw to your attention and then we're going to close. But the first is this. Your soul is so valuable to God. The soul of this one man was more important than 2,000 pigs. It is of the highest value to Jesus. The other question, or the question that I have is, why didn't Jesus allow this guy to go with him? Obviously, this man wanted a fresh start. Jesus had transformed his life, so why not go spend the rest of your life with Jesus? And it's because Jesus needed him to stay back. He needed, it was more important for Jesus that this man stayed and shared his story of life, life transformation. Because this is, this is really cool and I, I can't wait, but if you jump ahead, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back to the same area later on. But instead of pushing Jesus away, they welcome him with open arms. And they get to experience another miracle when Jesus would feed over 4,000 of them. Largely in part of this one man's testimony and the effect that it had on the entire region. And so what I want to do, kind of our remainder of our time together, is just address some of the demons that I have. Some of the things that I need to work on. And maybe these are some of the things that you need to work on as well. And so I just want to read some scripture over you. Uh, pray these into your life and pray these into my life. And I pray that these scriptures will help us navigate and bring some calm into our storms. Uh, the first couple are going to deal with the attitude and the words that we use. Uh, the first passage comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Here's what Paul says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Then verse 26 says this, If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Saying that my Christianity is worthless if I do not control my tongue. The last set of scriptures that I want to read to you kind of deals with the love. The love of Christ that goes through us. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And verse 8 says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, verse 20 says, if, any, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, 
that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we, that we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8 says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, can sh continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And John chapter 13, verse 34 says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. I hope these verses speak into your life. I hope that we can rise up, that we as a church and we, as we as believers can be more Christ-like, more loving to this world. And I truly believe it will begin to calm the storm. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning that we can gather together, some gathering in groups, some uh, in our own homes, that we can open up your word and we can learn from you what it looks like to be in the midst of the storm, but to have our faith reside in you. And I pray that that's what will continue to grow in all of us, is our faith that you have the power over everything. So help us to work on those things that we need to work on, the demons that we need to work on, the things that we need to address in our own life so that we can live more in line with you. We thank you again. We love you. And this we ask in your name. Amen.